Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, worship team. Wasn't that great? So for the first time ever on a Sunday morning, she sung a few events in the past, and she is our early childhood director overseeing all of our young ministries. Whitney Cantrell singing today. That was awesome. Thank you for serving us. And of course, Patrick and Michael, thank you guys for serving us so well. That guitar work, come on. Today, we're going to open with a fun participatory exercise. I'm going to show you eight images on screen, all to demonstrate the power of perspective. And we're going to take votes on these, and there's no wrong answer, so don't worry about it. So here's the first one. Now, you may have seen this before. This is a pretty popular one. But by show of hand, who sees an older woman looking down and to her right? Raise your hand if that's what you see. Not many. Okay, interesting. Now, who sees a younger woman kind of looking back, and you can see her nose and her hat there a little bit? Okay. The vast majority of people saw that one. Just in case you can't see the older woman, if you look at the, where my finger is, the shadow here is, that would be her chin, and then up there, her nose, and so you can see there a little bit. Next image. By show of hands, who sees a duck? Okay, a lot of ducks in the house. By show of hands, who sees a bunny rabbit? Okay, a heavy bunny on this side. Not a lot of bunnies over here. Interesting. Okay, next one. All right, by show of hands, who sees a person's face? A lot of faces. Okay, by show of hands, who sees someone playing an instrument? Saxophone, yep. Okay, that one was about even. Next. All right, by show of hands, who sees a frog? Good amount of frogs in the house. All right, by show of hands, who sees the horse head? All right, a little bit more horses. So, of course, those, oh, yo, you jumped. So, so those two little dots on the left there are either the frog eyes or the horse nostrils, in case you can't see them both. Next. Okay, who sees a woman kind of looking down with her hair coming over her face? Okay, some, some. Who sees a, a person looking to, to our left, kind of looking up, looking a little snooty, perhaps? All right, that one was about split. Okay, next. All right, this is an optical illusion. It is designed to make it look like the wheels are moving. In reality, it's not a motion graphic. Nothing here is moving. But you'll notice whichever circle you stare at out of the eight options, it looks like that circle stops and the other ones keep moving. So depending on who you were talking to and their perspective, you could actually argue about which circle is moving and which circle is not. Next. This one is kind of experimental. We'll see how well it works. This is an incredible optical illusion. You can see a few colors on screen, but I'm going to encourage you now to focus your attention on one pixel. Get it in your mind and stare at that one pixel for 30 seconds. And if you can do it well, all the colors will start to disappear and you'll see just a white background. So as you do it, raise your hand if you start to see colors disappearing. I'm curious. All right, I see a bunch of hands going up. Keep looking if you don't see it yet. It's kind of an intelligence test. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's not intelligence. It's actually a lot harder in the back of the room, by the way. So we're, we're honoring those who sit up here by the front because this works better when you're closer. So depending on if you know how to do that optical illusion or not, you might argue that there's a bunch of colors or that there's just a white page. Here's the last one. This one is unsolvable, and the entire internet has been divided for years on this. And I figured at Christmas time, what better thing to do than to divide our church? And here's, here's, the, here's the argument. Is this cat going upstairs or downstairs? Okay, let me keep looking at it though. Keep looking. It's impossible to prove either way. Now by a vote, 
we're gonna choose for Graceland Church here. This is a very official moment. You're all welcome into this voting process. Who thinks the cat is going upstairs by show of hands? Ooh, I think the other's gonna have it. Who thinks the cat is going downstairs? Oh man, we have heavy down here. Our church is divided though. Please pray for Graceland Church. What cat? What, what cat? There's always one. What's amazing about all these images is that they're actually the same, but we can see completely different things based only on our differing perspectives. And today as we continue and get close to finishing this Advent series, we're talking about joy. And here's this overarching principle. Just like the varying results in these images, joy is a matter of perspective. Two people can actually experience the same circumstances, but live with profoundly different levels of joy. In other words, like these images, you can be looking at the same image or the same set of data, but see completely different things. And my hope and prayer for all of us, including myself this morning, is that we will grow more into being a people of joy. Perhaps not based at all on anything even changing, but based only on our perspective. We're gonna start by looking at three joy myths. And then parenthetically, these are unwise perspectives, or you could just as easily say, these are untrue perspectives about joy. I'm gonna move through these really quick, and then we're gonna spend a little bit more time on three joy principles and wise perspectives. The first myth is this, joy is circumstance-based. It's easy to think that. Happiness is definitely based on circumstances, what you have, where you are, what's happening right now, but joy, has nothing to do with our circumstances, and in fact, often comes despite our circumstances. I like how David Stendhal-Rost said, joy is the kind of happiness that does not depend on what happens. We're gonna come back to that principle, that myth, later in the message. The second myth, I will have joy when I have blank. We often make joy contingent on certain criteria, things like this, when I get married, I'll be happy. When I get the job, I'll have joy. When I can afford that designer bag, then I'll know I've made it and I'll be satisfied. Look at this on screen. Studies show that making joy dependent on some future event or possession only postpones joy. Often when we finally get what we want, we start longing for the next thing on our wish list and simply move our criteria for joy further down the line. How many can relate to that? I can. There's a saying, I'm sorry, but focusing on the blessings we already have inspires joy in the present. And there's a saying I love, this is Sharla Fritz writing this. It is not joy that makes us grateful, it is gratitude that makes us joyful. So the first myth is that joy is circumstance-based. The second myth is that I will have joy when I have blank. The third is I have no control over the amount of joy in my life. That's untrue. It is true that we have very little control over what happens in our life but what we do and how we choose to live and whether we choose to have joy is entirely up to us. One of my favorite authors and theologians said, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. That's Henry Nouwen. So those are all gonna filter in a little bit to where we're gonna spend most of our time today, but let's look at three joy principles. So these are wise perspectives. And my hope and prayer is that we can move away from the unwise perspectives and towards the wise perspective when it comes to our choices about joy. And perhaps, like the images that we looked at 
at the beginning of the sermon. By the end of this, you'll be able to see what is the same image, your life, without anything having even changed from an entirely different perspective that will perhaps give you a much deeper joy. The context of our primary scripture today, which is gonna be the announcement of Jesus, the announcement of his birth, it's important to note that what's going on in the world is not good. There's spiritual crisis, and we've talked about this at length over the past few weeks. There's political crisis and conflict. There's military conflict. There's economic crisis. Things were not going well in the land. Circumstances were not lining up like anybody wanted, and people were defeated and desperate, especially those were that, those were, that were on the more oppressed end of things, which we have to keep in mind that the whole context of Scripture is hope to an oppressed people. And in this context, we read this incredible announcement, Luke 2, 8 through 14. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What an incredible announcement in a time of crisis. And that's what we're celebrating this week. And that's what we're celebrating during this whole Christmas season. And I wanna bring our attention particularly to verse 10. I bring you good news, the angel said, that will cause great joy for all the people. And it begs the question, what is this good news that comes to us? An extended family member of mine recently died, sadly. And I just found out that in about a week and a half when we're visiting family up in Pennsylvania, we're gonna be here Christmas Eve and next Sunday, but then right, right after that on Monday, I think we fly up there. And that week, I'm gonna uh, officiate his funeral. And I haven't been sure what I was gonna say. He lived a hard life and made some profound mistakes in life and got caught and ended up in prison. And it was while he was in prison that he profoundly met Jesus and his life got completely transformed. And he got filled with the joy that this passage talks about because while in prison, he received this good news. This good news, this announcement that this angel is making is for all of us. And it says, whether we're in prison or whether we just know we're guilty, which we're all in one of those two categories, you all are at least here, you're not in prison. You at least didn't get caught. <laughs> you're here, but we all know, if we're honest with ourselves, we've hurt people, we've made mistakes, we've lied, we've cheated, we've done things that we know missed the mark for what God has for us. I'm not gonna ask us all to raise our hand, but if we didn't raise our hand to that, we're not being honest with ourselves. This is the human condition, the reality of life. We are broken, but we long for something greater. And the good news comes right into our brokenness, right into our guilt, just like my family member who was in prison. And it's good news to us when we're honest with ourselves about our life because it says, here's an invitation to a new life. Here's an invitation to be forgiven. 
Here's an invitation for a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. Here's an invitation for a clean slate and Jesus who will show us how to live a better way. This is what the gospel, which means good news, is all about. And it starts with this birth of Jesus. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus changes everything in our lives. It is good news. And the scripture says this good news is what causes great joy. And it did for my family member, even though he was in jail. His circumstances did not change, but his entire perspective transformed, and he was filled with joy. And then look what the text says after that, and I love this. Great joy for who? All the people. This is the message for anyone who wants it. Whosoever may come has always been the heart of the gospel of this Jesus that we serve. So I wanna start with you being encouraged by this joy that comes from the perspective of God's promise. This is the promise. And I want you to think not just about the promise of salvation, but I want you to think about everything that is good that has happened in your life, every blessing that you have that is a result of that promise of God. Think about the life of fullness that God has invited you into. Think about the things we've celebrated during Advent. You see the candles here. We started by talking about hope, then we talked about peace, then we talked about love. Today, we're talking about joy. Stop to think about these results of the promise that change your perspective without changing your circumstance and give you joy. This is what Christmas is about. Number two, joy comes when I have the perspective of God's nearness. And this is really the, the heart of the whole Christmas season. Look at Matthew one twenty-two. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come near to be with us, and that's what we are celebrating. And that leads to great joy. And there's this great command in Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. That means be joyful. So important, he says, I will say it again. Rejoice, be joyful. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. His nearness, the witness of God, leads to joy. Keep in mind, Paul wrote those words. He wrote the letter to the church in Philippi, which is called Philippians, while he was in prison in Rome. Could have been written by my family member. He had that kind of joy in prison as well. Paul was routinely beaten, shipwrecked, and imprisoned. Yet his heart cry is constantly to live with joy because the Lord is with us. That is incredible. That's the kind of joy that we're invited into. I have uh, four kids, which by God's grace, I'm so, so thankful for. 12, nine, six, and three. And uh, we're done having kids. <laughs> and uh, we had, uh, my wife had two miscarriages early on. And we were out in Los Angeles during the first one, 3,000 miles from all our family, pastoring a new young church, not a lot of support, not a lot of resources. We had one little one and a half year old, Novi, who's now 12. And in the middle of the night, my wife woke up uh, with what you wake up with when you're going through a miscarriage. And it was horrifying. And we got to the emergency room and um, literally saw the death of our child. You know, we physically saw it. And it was jarring. It was shocking. We're supposed to be there doing God's work. We're, why would this happen to us? How are we going to get through this? You know, all 
all the questions. And I realized weeks and weeks after the fact that in those moments, I just kind of shut myself down internally and took care of my wife. Probably a lot of husbands would do things like that and wives would do that for husbands too. When you're seeing them go through such extraordinary pain, I didn't process it at all for myself. And for at least three days, I was just on like um, go mode, numb inside, taking care of my wife and my daughter and trying to figure out how to get through this. And it wasn't until three days after the miscarriage that I found myself in a, in a worship service with some brothers and sisters in Christ. It was not the church we were pastoring. And we just began to worship. And, and I was, uh, as I look back on it, I'm reminded of what the Psalms says. There's fullness of joy in God's presence is what scripture teaches us. And something by God's grace broke in me when I began to worship and be in the presence of God with my brothers and sisters. And for the first time, I began to grieve the loss of that child. And I just, I wept in God's presence as I grieved. But what's remarkable about it and why I'm sharing it is in the exact same moment, I wasn't happy, but had overwhelming joy in his presence. Why? Because of his nearness. Because God is with us. So the circumstance is not always what we want it to be. I would not have written that story. And then it happened again after that second child, we had another one. I wouldn't have written that story either. And there's a lot of things in your life that you would not have written that you might even be going through right now. But let me encourage you, even in the midst of that, there's joy in his presence. She's totally fine. You guys know that. Joy in his presence. And that might be the only word you need this Christmas is a reminder, get into the presence of God and worship. And nothing might change out there, but everything might change in here. The third principle about joy, the perspective, is that joy comes when I have a long-term perspective. God's timeline is unfathomable for us, but we know it's long-term. God's actually outside of space and time because he's the creator. God has always existed. We can't even begin to wrap our heads around that reality. The bumps in our life, we can approach with much more joy when we take that kind of long-term, even eternal perspective. If you study long-distance racing, uh, which I used to like to do when I was much younger, um, you realize that it's not the start of the race that's hard. You're really excited at the beginning. In fact, you have to discipline yourself not to run too fast if you're trying to run like 10 miles. You gotta just pace yourself. It's not the end that is the hardest because you can see the finish line and you're reinvigorated by the finish line. What are the hard moments of the race? It's the middle. It's when you're out of sight from the beginning and all that initial passion, you can't even see the finish line. It seems like you can't even imagine it. And runners always face their most tempting quitting points in the middle. And when you're in the middle, what I wanna encourage you to do is not lose sight of the end. And the way you do that is by developing a long-term perspective. It's the same with storytelling. Any Disney or Pixar movie or like romantic comedy or, and just, are there any people in here watching all of these Lifetime Christmas movies? I'm gonna pray for you if that's you, but I pray that Jesus helps you and gives you grace and peace. I'm just joking. Kind of. All of those movies, they have the same plot. They start with some kind of ensuing adventure, 
there's something exciting. And then they always end with some kind of resolution, some kind of peace, some kind of tear moment. In the middle, you're always lost in the woods, struggling, crisis, challenge. We don't know how we're gonna get through this. It's always the middle that is the most challenging. And the, the reason we resonate that with, with that so much is because that's how our lives are. We can relate because it's true. And it's in the middle that we struggle to have joy. But I wanna encourage you, when you're in the middle, don't lose sight of the end. Develop the long-term perspective. Consider the example of Jesus in Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What joy would give so much strength to Jesus that he would endure the pain and agony of the cross? I believe, and scripture teaches, that Jesus saw through time the opportunity for you and me to be free, for you and me to have the gift of grace and wisdom and joy, the purchasing of our salvation. And it's that joy, that long-term perspective that scripture teaches us enabled Jesus to see beyond the pain and be obedient to his father. Jim Bozeman, one of our board members, pointed out to me after our first service that he really sees, and I think this is true, that that middle moment where Jesus was in such crisis was like the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he went to the cross. And he actually cried out to his father, if there's any other way, please, let's do that. Can't we relate to that? If there's, God, I trust you with my life. I believe you're taking me somewhere. But this current reality, what I feel like I'm faced with now, if there's any other way, please, God, please. We've prayed those prayers. You could potentially be praying them right now. But Jesus is our example. We can say yes to the Father in the middle of our pain and with joy because of the joy that is set before us. And this is a great moment to clarify that joy does not mean loud and boisterous. It does not mean laughing. It is an internal posture of the heart that is at rest and peace before God no matter what happens in life. In the midst of the worst pain you'll ever experience, you can still sit in a posture of joy. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was not shouting praises to God. He was not, like sometimes I come in this sanctuary and just do laps around here because I'm so joyful and happy and I'm like, like I'm a crazy man worshiping God in this room and I'm praying for you guys. And that's great, but that's not what Jesus was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it was for the joy set before him, he endured it. So that long-term perspective changes everything. It was almost 20 years ago when I was brand new in ministry that I experienced one of the most profound stories that exemplifies this. I've shared it once before here a couple years ago. It bears repeating. I was in the church that I served at that point. I was uh, the worship pastor, the missions pastor, the young adult pastor, and the youth pastor. Those are the four hats I wore. And uh, there was this woman on my worship team who was just such a worshiper. She would worship God and she would sing and just tears would flow. Her name is Diana Burkhardt. And she has four daughters that are all now grown. At that time, they were in the ministries and youth and young adult ministry. 
And for years we prayed for those four girls' dad and for her husband who was completely antagonistic to God, hated the church, so much pain, so much animosity uh, towards, towards me and my involvement in his family's life and other ministers. And, and we just prayed for him. They came and served and were faithful, completely apart from him. And for years we prayed, for decades that family prayed. Uh, and then, out of nowhere, one day, she had a severe stroke, Diana. And she was in the hospital. We weren't sure how she was gonna recover, how it was gonna go. And we would visit her in the hospital and just worship with her. And even before she was back to full consciousness, we would see tears come down her cheek as she worshiped in the hospital room. I have profound memories sitting there with my guitar, just worshiping with a few people from our worship team in her hospital room, praying she would recover. But the really profound thing that happened was through all that, God started doing deep, seemingly impossible work in her husband's heart. And the long story short is that just a few weeks after that, her husband stood in front of the entire church family in tears saying thank you for providing space for him to return home and to know God and to follow Jesus. One of the most powerful conversions I've ever seen in my life. And it profoundly affected our whole church because we were all aware that we had been praying for him. We were all aware of the miracle. And his life was forever changed. He immediately got involved in the life of the church. His relationship with each one of his daughters transformed. His wife slowly recovering, but never fully recovered to this day. This was almost 20 years ago. To this day, she's still not fully recovered. She can function barely. She can communicate. And I see her when we go back and visit there. I'll go preach at that church. My family still lives there. My little brother is becoming the senior pastor at that church right now as we speak. And he'll, he'll be taking it over next year. And, and I'll go there. And she will always say, even though her life and her quality of life and what her life looks, looks like has never been the same, she will tell us over and over again, she would not change a thing about what happened because she knows that God used it to answer her deepest prayer. And because of her long-term perspective, she walks with joy unspeakable. She knows that someday she'll have a new mind and a new body. She'll be completely restored. She's willing to sacrifice that for now for the sake of her husband. And she's been willing to do that for 20 years. That's the power of the perspective of joy and learning to have an eternal mindset. Let me invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna sing this song that we haven't done in a little while, but if you've been around here for a year or two, you'll know it. It's called Yes, I Will. And it's a song that is a declaration about our choice to worship. And it ties in great with, with the quote I shared at the beginning of what Henry Nouwen said, Henry Nouwen said, joy does not simply happen. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it. So I don't know where you are today, but there's two simple invitations. One is, if you don't know Jesus yet, or if you've just been running for a long time, or you know you need to return to a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, I, I invite you to do that right now. As I'm talking right now, pray in your heart, I wanna know you, Lord. I want to know you. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for how I've fallen short. You might relate to my family member that was in prison. Your guilt might be ever before you. Might be, you might be living in the consequences of your choices. We all are. You might be living in the consequences of some very poor choices, but the invitation stands. And you can say, I want to receive your forgiveness, Jesus. And he will give it to you. 
He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, he will make you new. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He will bring you into this new life. Doesn't necessarily change anything in your circumstances, but it changes, every, changes everything in here. For all of us, I wanna challenge you to think really honestly about your life and your level of joy this Christmas. And I challenge you to up the quotient. It's up to you. Let's up the quotient by shifting our perspective. For those of you guys that need miraculous changes, I pray that those will happen. But let's focus on our response even when things don't change. Let's focus on thinking about this next week and all the moments when we're gonna have to either choose joy or choose anger. Choose joy or choose bitterness. Choose joy or choose blame. And I just invite you, and I believe the Lord invites all of us to choose joy. Choose that perspective. I pray that you will move from the unwise to the wise perspective. I pray that you will see a vision of a new life, a new reason. I pray that you will see fresh the promise, the nearness of God, the long-term perspective. Though you cannot control your circumstance, you can control your level of joy through your choice now. So as we sing together, make an altar wherever you are. You can come to these altars, you can stand, you can sit. Feel free to respond however you want, but let's sing this song, it's simple. And let's say, yes, I will. And let's say, I will choose joy. Church, before I pray this benediction over us and we're dismissed, I want to invite you one more time to close your eyes with me. You know, singing for joy is awesome when we're at church and right after we hear a sermon and when we're surrounded by brothers and sisters in the faith, it's beautiful. And I don't want to take anything away from that, but it's not always easy to sing for joy in the real moments of our lives coming up this week. And I want you to get in your mind ahead of time right now, some of those moments that you know tend to be harder for you to choose joy. Just think about them for a moment. I have a few in my own mind. It could be something with work. It could be something relationally. It could be some circumstance in your life that you just can't get to work out. It could be something in yourself that you're very disappointed in and frustrated about. Whatever it is, let's, let's get it in our mind. And I just wanna encourage you with it fresh in your thoughts to pre-decide that when you face that, you're gonna say, God, help me to have the perspective that allows me to remain in a posture of joy even as I face this, even as I make some decisions, even as I get through this. Teach me the posture of joy. I wanna, I wanna let go of the choices of bitterness, blame, anger, frustration, and I wanna let joy rise up in my heart. And I wanna pre-decide now that I don't want another Christmas to go by where I let these things just defeat me and crush me. I wanna live in what you have invited me to live in, Lord. I wanna learn from your example, Jesus, that my response to the circumstances of life actually matters not just for me, but for everyone else around me. The ripple effect of my life is inevitable. The question is what those ripples will be. And I want the ripple effect of my life to be that of joy through every circumstance. Faith even in the midst of trials. God, forgive us for when the ripple effects of our life have been everything but that. God, teach us your ways. Teach us to, to grow that muscle of choosing joy. The perspective of the promise, the perspective of your nearness 
and your presence, this perspective that is long-term, the hope that is unshakable, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that is an actual miracle, the love that is unconditional that you've invited us into and the joy that's actually unshakable, this rock that you've called us to stand on and live in. Teach us more about that, we pray, God. Teach us about it. In Jesus' name, every person here, I pray that for their life, for their loved ones, for their family, for their marriages, for their co-workers, for their friends. We pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray a benediction over us. Uh, then we'll be dismissed. Make sure to say hi to someone you don't know. Give some Christmas hugs. I hope to see you guys Christmas Eve at 4 to 5, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, this Friday. It's going to be a beautiful service. We're going to add a bunch of chairs and, and make space for the two services and the kids. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, let me pray this over you. May you be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the Magi, and the peace of Christ. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Merry Christmas. See you soon.